Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. How would you like to ramp up your club's game day atmosphere? Big Screen Video is giving 10 lucky sports clubs the chance to win a $10,000 grant towards their own digital scoreboard. Register now at iCanWin.com.au slash BSV. From the grassroots to the elite, from the juniors to the pros, covering the Aussies trekking the globes to the champions internationally. Welcome to the First Serve, your home of tennis. Thanks to GLG. Celebrating 25 years of industry expertise and exceptional service. Find out more at glgcorp.com. Good evening, everybody. Welcome along to another Monday night edition of The First Serve. We've enjoyed this little run at uh, 6 o'clock. We're here for one more little 6 o'clock instalment because uh, for those of you who have been tuning in uh, the last many, many weeks uh, throughout this COVID period, uh, know that there's sort of been a shift around all the different time slots on SEM. We were originally 7 o'clock at the start of the year. We'll get back to 7 o'clock. Uh, still a nice little time zone for us next uh, Monday night. If you want to join the conversation tonight, there is plenty bubbling around in the tennis world. It's on a bit of a knife edge at the moment. one three hundred seven three six seven three six, 736 736 or on the text 433 98 11 16. In fact, on the text tonight, I want to know where you are. There's a lot of great tennis fans who... Listen to us. We get some great feedback on social media during the week. Where are you? And throw in a little plug for uh, maybe your tennis club across the country. But we want you to jump on the line tonight and join in what should be a very passionate discussion about where tennis sits. We spoke many weeks ago that tennis might be the last sport to recover. And it's certainly looking that way as the challenges present the most global of sports. Uh, Brett Phillips is my name, joined by the 2015 Newcomb medalist for Australian tennis's best performer, holder of the fastest serve in the history of the game. And I've been reading plenty of Grothy's great stuff across the weekend. Samuel, uh, Sydney Swans hat backwards. They are struggling. You're not. Great to see you. BP, great to be here. You're not wrong. A lot going on behind the scenes in the tennis world at the moment. You're right, Swans not quite doing what I'd hoped they would this year. Probably what we all expected, though, but doesn't mean my support for them is going to wane at all. Now, Grothy, I'm going to let you just go off the long run and give you the new ball, uh, so to speak, uh, tonight. I have read a, a couple of your pieces in the Herald Sun uh, online and in the hard copy across uh, the weekend. I love my uh, weekend newspaper because you can actually go to some really good, deep analysis. We've had a lot to digest over the last uh, three months. And as we sit here tonight, there is a lot going on that could alter the course even further of this tennis year. But I want to give you the new ball tonight just to set the scene for us. And uh, hopefully uh, you can join the conversation too. one 736 736 Yeah, I appreciate it, BP. I've had a little bit of time over the last few days to reflect. We've had a lot of discussions. And for me, January, it, it seems like a long time ago, we had an inaugural ATP Cup played across three cities, followed by an epic Australian Open where Novak was again crowned champion, and we got a first-time winner on the women's side in Sophia Kennan. The qualifying event, though, was the one that made the headlines, played in thick smoke haze with headlines 
that read smoke plays havoc and play delayed. At the time, our sport looked like one united, a playing group that came together to support our country in crisis. The biggest names in the sport all doing their part to raise millions of dollars to support the bushfire-affected communities. And then, as it does, after January each year, the tour leaves our shores and, quite frankly, is forgotten by many. A handful of Aussie players returned home for Davis Cup, a victory against Brazil to move us into what we now know is the cancelled Davis Cup finals. And on the plane, the next day to California, the players again left, with the tour supposed to resume at the Masters 1000 event in Indian Wells. And then the chaos hit. Indian Wells cancelled. Miami cancelled. The clay court season, the grass court season, all cancelled. And we, talk, we spoke about it on this show. The first calls for a player relief fund, they came and they were led by Novak Djokovic, the president of the player council and other players at the top of the game, that the top 50 should help those at the lower levels to survive. And that was in early May, end of April, early May, that discussion. And now when we look at that, that seems forgotten. There were calls for a merger between the two tours, again from the top in Roger Federer. And again, we discussed it on our show and players all backed that move and showed their support. But again, that discussion seems to be forgotten. The most prestigious one that should have been played this week of Grand Slam tournaments, Wimbledon, became the first Mm. Grand Slam tournament to be called off. A tough decision made easier by the foresight of a pandemic insurance policy. One foresight that here in Australia, Tennis Australia, had also made. But in the last week, we've also discovered that that policy cannot be renewed. And where does that leave us here come January? In the last month, we've seen tennis return, events in Florida, Prague, France, and now here domestically. Everyone trying to provide playing opportunities to a group starved of their profession. And then came the one that stands out, the Novak-led Adria Tour. Complete disregard for social distancing, poor organisation and leadership, which led to four of its participants testing positive, including Novak himself. And you add to that Alexander Zverev, who six days after releasing a statement that he would follow all protocols in regards to social distancing, is out partying in the French Riviera. From the outside, looking in, our sport looks like a catastrophe. That unity we saw in January is nowhere to be seen. The US Open, just seven weeks away, and they've put an extreme amount of measures in place to be able to go ahead. These measures require complete buy-in from the playing group and its support staff. I say personally that it's impossible. The European Union has closed its borders to people travelling from the United States. So a week after the US Open, how does the Madrid Masters go ahead? And again, this week, another player tests positive. American Francis Tiafo playing an exhibition event in Atlanta, an event that had fans present. If an event of that size can't go ahead and get through two days without a player testing positive, how can we expect with the US Open and all its protocols in place and all the players to do the right thing to go ahead? And for me, the timeline of the events is one thing, but the messaging to the players, the fans, the administrators, us in the media and everybody involved in our sport has been the biggest worry. A sport with seven different governing bodies, it would take too long just to name them all. A player council with no real power, a playing group that's not consulted on decisions. 
Here in Victoria, as most of the listeners to this station would know, AFL rules all. And when things go wrong, it's Gillan McLaughlin that we hear from. He stands up, he speaks. In tennis, we don't have that voice. We don't have a decision maker for the entirety of our sport. We don't have that unity. Through all the crisis of 2020, our sport now faces its greatest challenge, and it's not from the coronavirus. It's from itself. For the players, for years they've wanted and pushed for a player union. And for years, everyone seems to be okay with our sport going along the way it does. The ITF, in the last few weeks, has put together a player board of its own, a voice for that lower-ranked player. But it's one that no one at the top will listen to. Until the ATP, the WTA and the ITF can all come under one banner, our sport will continue down the road in the same way it always has. This is the time for our sport to unite, to have one governing body, to have one voice in a time of crisis. And if it's going to happen, it needs to be now. It won't be long before we lose the likes of Roger Federer and Serena Williams to retirement. And if we can't capitalise on the success that the biggest names in our sport have provided, an unbelievable platform on which to build, for me, the future of tennis globally begins to dim. If you're a tennis fan or maybe just a sports fan in general listening to this station, we'd love to hear your thoughts. As you mentioned, BP, they can text in 0433981116. We'd love your feedback via the, the call line 1300 736 736. Absolutely, Grothy. And I wanted to let you go off the top because you've lived and breathed the, the inner sanctum of uh, the sport. I've always said to you, I think you put together a great book if you ever decide to pen one uh, one day. Because you've seen all levels of the tour. And it's just interesting, the reference there to, you know, Gillan McLaughlin. Young Andrew Harris, uh, 204 in the world at the moment, been as high as 150-odd. Son of Anne Minter, who obviously tennis genes through that family, made the 1990, uh, 1988 quarters of the Australian Open. He's a good young player, probably coming off his best year. Uh, no certainty where he's going to go long-term. He didn't hold back in the last week. Uh, in that phone hook-up about two weeks ago where Andrea Gudenzi, the ATP chairman CEO, was obviously talking about the US Open and just the future of the tour for 2020, he, Gudenzi, was pretty condescending on that Zoom call to people outside the top 100 questioning him, and he just got really condescending and talked down to them like, who are you? You don't know anything. Uh, this is Harris on uh, Breakpoint. Well, that's because you haven't been transparent. When we were talking about points for the US Open, everyone on the call was against having points for the US Open. There was an agreement from everyone. Now, obviously, that's hard because they have a deal with ESPN. ESPN are not going to run the US Open unless there's points because then it looks like it's an exhibition event. Just the other bit there, the question was asked on the Zoom call for the men, has the ATP taken any pay cuts? Gordensi said no, and his justification was because they've been working twice as hard. He said something like, after a day's work with what I've been doing, it feels like I've played a five-set match, something along those lines, which didn't draw a very good positive response from uh, the players. There's so much to pull apart here, uh, Sammy, and I reckon we might get an early break in and then we'll come back because we've got a couple of callers uh, queuing up and we want you to really join in the conversation tonight. one 736 736 or on the text 0433981116. We're here thanks to Top Agents Real Estate servicing all of Melbourne. If you live here or you're looking to move here, looking to buy, rent, sell, have your property investment managed, make contact with David and his team, 95584599 or top-agents.com.au. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram. Your calls, your feedback next as we dissect tennis right now on a knife edge. Yeah. 
the first serve, your home of tennis. Thanks to GLG Greenlife Group, celebrating 25 years providing landscape, horticultural and environmental services throughout Australia. GLG, your open space specialists. GLGCorp.com. Great to have you with us on a Monday night. Brett Phillips and Sam Groth talking the world of tennis and you can follow us all through the week. Thefirstserve.com.au, all our past live shows, our podcasts going nicely. Aussies only crunching the numbers, our latest edition In The Huddle. We'll chat to Chris Bates from In The Huddle a little bit later on uh, this hour. But uh, Grothy, you've stirred up some passion amongst the uh, tennis fans and the sports fans out there as we... Look at where tennis sits uh, right now and a bit more information to come in the next 40-odd minutes of the deadline around the US Open, a bit more detail there. But Ben's on uh, the Gold Coast listening on the Crystal Clear SEN app. Welcome to you, Ben. Yeah, good evening, Brett. Uh, yeah, mate, tennis, I think they're going to take a leaf out of UFC and Dana White's book. He got that new um, Fight Island, I think it's called, and he just told anyone in the UFC, listen, this is where we're going to be doing business from. So if you want to be with us doing business, you've got to get across here. So maybe it's up for a billionaire or Jeff Bezos to build a special facility just for tennis and he can broadcast it and all the tennis players have to live in that country and that's where we get through it. But this international stuff, it can't happen. Maybe anywhere, Grothy, except, uh, what, Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan? There's plenty of of places you wouldn't go. There's a couple you wouldn't go to, isn't there? It's... No, I mean, and that's, that's what they're trying to create, but whether you can create that, that's that's the problem. Yeah, it, look, that, that's the difficulty. Can, can we just touch on, thank you, Ben, for your call. Happy for you to weigh in tonight. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. 736 Plenty on the text I'll get to as well. You, you talk to people, Gruffy, that I don't. I don't expect you to reveal all those sources, but US Open, give us your take of what you are hearing. I'll weigh in as well because going back a week, two weeks ago, it's on. You're coming to New York. We're going to set up all the protocols. It's on. Gee, the chorus and the mood of all that over the last few days has changed. Yeah. I mean, I just find it hard to see it going together. I know I mentioned it in in my opener there. But it's it's the problem they've got is the European Union has now closed its borders to the United, people from the United States. So does everybody from Europe not go to the US Open to then be able to play Madrid and Roland Garros and anyone who plays the US Open can't play those events. Can people get out of Australia? Can the Australian players go? I mean, I, and we've spoken about this. I'm in the boat right now where I'm supposed to be going over for work yeah. and, and leaving tomorrow mm. night, and I still don't have approval to leave the country. So it, it's not just getting into the States and out of the States that's a problem. It's getting in and out of your own home countries as well. And I think logistically it, it's near impossible for them to have an event and then, like I said, you see Francis Tiafo, an event trying to do all the right things, supposedly they said, and John Isner's been very vocal on Twitter defending the event going along in Atlanta at the moment. If one player can't get through two days, how does that affect the rest of the playing group? And even if the playing group does buy in, how can you not stop a staff member going out on a dinner date or a Tinder date or to a nightclub or to a bar? And that's all it's going to take is one person doing the wrong thing to undo yep. an event of that size. Well, that's the question, Groth, isn't it? Can tennis players possibly be trusted to be responsible in a pandemic? And now people are going to make uh, mistakes. People have already made mistakes in uh, AFL circles, NRL circles, uh, other sporting codes. Uh, across the globe, we're seeing Major League Baseball uh, trying to get back, and um, a huge amount of you know people reporting uh, you know, testing positive for COVID nineteen. It's interesting. I was listening to Andy Roddick 
on the tennis channel in the last few days and he said tennis is always one big family i feel like the intent behind most people's spirit in tennis is in sync and is right and is just it's an interesting statement at a time when we feel like it's extremely fragmented and maybe it's really being exposed more than ever because of this crisis and look you certainly feel for the administrators you feel for everyone at the coalface of the sport having to deal with a situation that they had you know no sort of lead up to dealing with scenarios that they've never faced before this is when you get the true test of uh, leadership but it's certainly brought to light that tennis absolutely needs an overarching body to pull everyone in line together because everyone is trying to look after their own backyard here. And that's that's the problem. It's, it's as you mentioned, so many people have their interests at heart. The ATP, of course, is going to try and do the best thing for the ATP as an organisation. So is the WTA, so is the ITF, so are the four governing bodies that rule over the Grand Slam events. And, you know, the, the calls for a player council, for a player union, for, for unity aren't new. They've been going on for so long and it isn't until a moment like this that it really does. As you said, it exposes the sport to its problems. And we've had months and months and months of discussing things and nothing has been... It doesn't even look like it's being fixed. I mean, I don't know what's happened to the relief fund. I don't know what's happened to the merger. I have heard, Grothy, just uh, speaking to someone today, that apparently a couple of payments have been rolled out, but I don't know what those amounts are. I mean, they're not amounts that are obviously going to uh, put you into financial safety, uh, but we don't know because obviously that money was handed to the ATP, to the WTA. Obviously, we had all the stakeholders getting involved with their individual contributions, but we don't know uh, unless the players are prepared to say uh, you know, what they actually uh, got. But just off the text, well spoken from Sam. I've got a really important question, guys. If players on the tour can contract the virus with all the protocols, etc., even though Novak's exhibitions seem to go against that, how can we guarantee at local club level that we can do everything that's needed when you have volunteers, etc., it's of concern? Aaron at uh, Duda Gala Tennis Club, which is really in one of the hot spots of Melbourne in one of the lockdown suburbs at the moment. Well, and that's, that's the problem with everything that's going on right now is if you're doing the right thing and I'm doing the right thing, we're relying on the next person also doing the right thing. And like anything, it involves and needs buy-in by the whole community, by that whole group. Now, at the moment, especially on the men's side, they've proven that they can't really be trusted to handle that side of things. I mean, I don't think I'd be wrong in saying that when... You look at things, it, from the outside looking in, it looks pretty ordinary from what we've seen from a group that's supposed to be the forefront of the sport. You look at people, and whether it's right or wrong to do this, people of a public profile you look to to get guidance and how you should behave, I believe. And at the moment, the male players aren't behaving in a way that is guiding our sport in the right direction. So I, I said last week that I'm, I'm all for tennis trying to get back. There needs to be a starting point. Of course there does. But, you know, this is this is complicated. I, Andy Murray made some comments, uh, Grothy, regarding the, uh, the rankings. This is the other thing that the WTA oh. and the ATP must be having sleepless nights trying to sort this out. So with the schedule announced, players, this is Andy's quote, are going to have to pick and choose which to play. Some events are being played on different dates than in 2019. So there are problems with uh, when points come on or off. It's not safe for the players to go from semis, finals in New York, quarters even, 
to altitude on a clay court when players haven't competed for a long time. The rankings, if you keep the points as they are, could get a bit skewed. It might be worth potentially looking to two-year ranking for the time. So I'm hearing, and I can't reveal my source, and, and it's not confirmed yet, but if the US Open goes ahead and it goes ahead with points, players, unless they do better than the year before they'll actually keep the points from both years so they're trying to incentivize people to go to new york to play so they're giving them no downside so if you went to the us open last year and lost first round or if you went to the us open last year and lost quarterfinals you can't actually end up with less points when you go this year so if you made quarters last year and you lose first round you would still keep your quarterfinal points they're trying to find a way to incentivize players to go now is that fair probably not is there any system that's fair Probably not, but they're trying to find a way to get people to put their hand up and go to New York. Peter in Maribyrnong's joined the conversation tonight. Welcome to you, Peter. G'day, guys. How are you going? Going well, thank Great. you. Very good. I guess tennis is in a maybe the most difficult position of any international sport just yep. due to the the numbers of players around the world. You know, PGA, there's a lot of American-based or European-based, so they can more like hub and make much easier, but tennis, uh, I think, is more of a challenge. But I would say that we don't know if there will ever be a... Uh, oh, I forgot the word. For the virus itself, if there will ever vaccine. be a... Uh, thank you, a vaccine, vaccine, that's the word. We don't know. It, it's not guaranteed. So we're going to have to live with the virus, and the tennis authorities will have to come up with a plan to manage that. So I'm thinking back to, you know, the 60s, the 70s, earlier... Some players focused on the clay and didn't turn, didn't come to Australia for the Australian Open and vice versa. So maybe tennis over the next couple of years will be around players focusing on their strengths, their court strengths, and that's how the tour will operate. I, I think that's more of a solution possible because, yeah, there's no guarantee that the virus is going to go away anytime soon. Yeah, what do you no, think I, about I agree. And, and, and I agree. And maybe it's not focusing on clay or grass i think bp it comes back to a conversation we had it with mark leshley from utr last week as well back to those regional based tours so maybe you have an australian based tour a european based tour a south american tour i think that's where we come out of this and it's the only way we allow and then because at the top you can you can keep a group at the very top together and monitor what they do but you can't keep a playing group of 1000 or 2000 and get everyone doing the right thing. Uh, Grothy, I'll give you this little scenario on the WTA side. So they've talked about coming back August 3 in Palermo and Italy. So the entry list fully at the moment, 23 of the 50 can't play the tournament under the current EU conditions. That's 48% of the field. In the case of Prague, which is also on that WTA calendar, 11 of the top 28 entered can't play as things stand. So it puts the WTA into a position where it may have to back down from its original position, which was that if all players didn't have equal opportunity, they would actually cancel the season. So what we have on tour is players who want to play. We have players who don't want to play. We have players who can play. We have players who can't play everywhere, who can't actually get out of their country. So since there is no end date to this whole coronavirus, that could mean that all the players could literally be out of work and this goes back to something you said many, many months ago on this show that you were hearing on the grapevine that, you know, maybe the ATP could survive till about mid next year. There is the reality that we may not see professional tennis for as long as 18 months unless the tours operate more as regional tours. Yeah, it's hard to fathom that we go back to normal. I just can't see. I can't see 
when you look at what's happening with football and how they're having to go on the fly and they're able to keep everybody in hubs domestically, how yep. can tennis go back to travelling week to week, country to country, across borders with, with different uh, government regulations and restrictions and visas? I, it, I just don't see it happening. I don't. So while we've got this, the waivers in place in the US, obviously professional athletes to be able to enter the country. The question about isolation and the 14-day quarantine upon arrival is actually not a done deal at this day. So there's no written confirmation that they actually wouldn't have to actually undergo that. So there's, uh, there's a fair bit to play out as far as the logistics. Now, a conversation I had today is that the 1st of August was going to be the absolute D-Day for the US Open, but I'm being told that the next 10 days is going to decide their fate, whether it's the green light or whether it's going to be the orange light, because there is a hell of a lot to sort out to get everyone in and, and just the, the, the level of paperwork and administration behind all this. Yeah, well, you mentioned that I maybe speak to people that you can't, again, I, I can't go into saying, but people at the very top of our sport, I'm hearing that the US Open doesn't go ahead. That, that's my feedback. Yep. People will probably refute that, but that's what I'm hearing. Hi, boys. It's about time tennis uh, appoints someone that can actually put a board together to make decisions about tennis who can guide this game and can take care of the game, especially on what's uh, going on in our world today, to save and give all the players a self-assurance that tennis will be okay. And yes, just like Gillum does for the AFL. Thank you, Andrew, for your uh, contribution on uh, the text. We'll take a break. We'll uh, continue this discussion. We're also just going to Rewind back to last week, because we had a great chat with Mark Leshley, the chairman and CEO of uh, UTR, which, as we know, has got tennis uh, back started here in Australia. We've seen action kicking off over in the west today in Perth, uh, Adelaide firing up this week, Melbourne, Sydney and uh, Brisbane as well. Here, thanks to Yarra Tennis Coaching, Melbourne's award-winning coaching program, which is out at Eaglemont Tennis Club, beautiful part of Melbourne, just off the Eastern Freeway since 2002. Discover more at yarratennis.com.au. You're listening to The First Serve. The First Serve, your home of tennis. Thanks to GLG Greenlife Group, celebrating 25 years providing landscape, horticultural and environmental services throughout Australia. GLG, your open space specialists. glgcorp.com Welcome back. First Serve Monday night. Uh, reset your First Serve alarm clock for uh, 7 o'clock uh, next uh, Monday night. We're not getting a demotion. We're actually were supposed to be 7 o'clock at the start of the year. We've had a nice little elevation the last uh, few months. We'll head back to uh, 7 o'clock. Uh, BP, I presume, uh, Novak uh, banned in disgrace from the US Open. Grothy, that one coming through on the text. He's just trying to hide no. somewhere, Novak, at the moment. Yeah, and I think we've seen him make some donations to coronavirus clinics yes. over there, and he, and he's yes. trying to do a, a lot of good stuff. I just think there was it was pretty average actually what he did over there with that tour and the way. Yep. Just the it's the position that they put tennis in. That's the thing. It, it's the the view from the outside that tennis now has. It's how it's perceived. That's the problem with it. Yeah, and he's you know we've said you know in the last couple of weeks and. He's an interesting figure to study, Novak Djokovic. I mentioned Andrew Harris at the start of the show. He actually went into bat for Novak on Breakpoint last week to say he thinks he's attempted to do far more than what Nadal and Federer have done for that lower end of the tour, even though those two are uh, far more popular. So uh, the different personalities in tennis. Grothy, you and I had a great chat with uh, Mark Leshley uh, over in California last week. He's the CEO chairman of uh, UTR, the UTR Pro Series, has uh, kick-started tennis uh, back here in the country. For those that missed the chat, here's just a little snippet of that from last week. 
it was a simple idea that was actually built off of the French rating system at the time. And Sam will be familiar with this. It's the idea that if we can rate players on the same rating system, and now we understand their level, instead of everybody having to play the first round of a tournament, now you can insert players in the tournament based on the level they're at. That was really the French system back in the day. And when I was on the tour, you know, you go to France, you start in the quarterfinals and you didn't have to play the first couple of rounds. And the other analogy here, of course, is golf. It's the idea that if you can rate every tennis player like you do a golfer and you know what level you're actually at, then now you can match up great tennis. And so that was the premise on the which just got started in 08. And, and for years and years, they built this up and ingested results. And it really was a product uh, create as well. Also the ability to add other technologies. And the simple thing, it's a rating system from zero to 16, rates every player on the planet. That was, uh, of course, Mark Leshley, the CEO, last week. We had a lot of good feedback to uh, UTR because of what it does across all levels of the game, from that professional player down to the recreation player. I wanted to welcome into the conversation, just to uh, touch on a little bit further, Chris Bates, the talent director of Study and Play USA, who produce, of course, In the Huddle, a great podcast we've got on our first serve platform on a week-to-week basis, talking about the uh, college pathway. And, of course, Chris, you know, going back to 2016, was actually uh, the pioneer of UTR in Australia at that stage. Something like about 1% of all players had a UTR in Australia. In fact, only those that had ITF and WTA ATP rankings. Uh, Chris, I know you were listening in intently last week. Welcome to the show, and you must be pleased to see four or five years down the track that it's uh, it's really kicked on. Yeah, hi, Brett. Uh, hi Sam, uh, thanks for having me. But yeah, you're right. It was, um, it's been, um, yeah, it, it's amazing how four or five years have passed. But it, it's great to see, especially that UTR Pro Series last week. Um, yeah, it, I feel like UTR is is more common, um, you know, commonly known now, which is which is, I guess, what we were trying to uh, establish when we brought it out here. And we spoke to Mark last week. He told us about how UTR is so great from that very top level, from the number one player in the world down and how good it could be for rating players domestically on the club scene. Can you give us an idea on why it's so important from a, a college recruitment and a college point of view? Yeah, uh, Sam, look, I think um, it, it's become the, the number one recruiting tool. And I think if you, if, you, if you just imagine being a college coach sitting there in your office, I guess, getting emails sent from all around the world, so many different tennis playing nations and so many different ranking strata that, are in, that is in the world. So, how, you know, how is a coach really trying to recruit the right player with you know we've got the top 100 player from Chile versus a player who's ranked 100 in Australia or someone from New Zealand the videos all might look pretty similar how on earth are we going to actually uh, pick which which guy to recruit or which girl to recruit so UTR putting a it gives it just uh, I guess puts everyone on the same page I suppose and because it's accurate you know coaches can you know confidently recruit um, so yeah it's become it's become the the number one recruiting tool for for college recruiting, that's for sure. So it's important for the coaches over there when they're recruiting players, but we know that players previously with a ranking system, they could go out, they could chase points in weaker areas, maybe go somewhere that's a little bit isolated, build their ranking up. Why or what can players do uh, with using the UTR to, I guess, get their ranking to the best possible state or are there ways that they can manipulate that to make themselves more attractive to those recruiters? Yeah. No, look, that's right. I mean, I think the ranking system, you know, you, you certainly can game it, I suppose, and those that maybe have a bit more money or maybe not less, uh, a little bit less focus on school can travel to far and wide to build up their points and therefore get potentially a inflated ranking. Uh, but with the rating system, you, there's, there's no real way of gaming the system, which is good because 
at the end of the day, I think that's good for development anyway. Um, but at the end of the day, um, it, it's about opportunity and accessibility. And I think that's, you know, we, we obviously big believers in this rating system, but we do have a bit of a way to go. It, it's not quite reaching its potential in Australia yet because we do have um, challenges here. Just ge- geographically, there's one, and they, most people listening would understand that. It, it, because of that, it costs money to get to tournaments. And um, so... I think if, if we need, at the end of the day, if, if someone wants to maximise a UTR, first and foremost, they've just got to play, play and play. And, and feedback we get from coaches in America on a daily basis is, gee, these Aussie kids are, are match-deprived. Uh, yep. Match-deprived, sorry. So um, that's probably the biggest thing. And, and initially, if you're pretty young and you're a few years out from college, it, it you know, to be honest with you, I think it doesn't really matter what level you try and get as level-based matches as possible someone your level but you just got to get the matches into the system and then as you're nearing the end of schooling you, you've really got to be um selective i guess with what um you know, tournaments you play and again one basic difference between the ranking systems i think we can di- we're conditioned to look for a really good draw where we're not we're not necessarily wanting to play the best players in the draw we want to advance in the draw to get better rankings, so or more points and more better ranking. Whereas in the rating system, you, you know, the kids we work with want to play better players because if you can uh, do well, you know, ideally win against a better rated player or at least mm. uh, put in a good show, you're going to get some uh, benefit out of that for your rating. Chris, I know you're you know doing a lot of work continually uh, at Study and Play USA to help you know families be aware of all those uh, challenges surrounding uh, college recruiting, and I think. As we've sat in this chair through the COVID period, and if I can encourage people to listen to our Crunching the Numbers uh, podcast, which was a great addition last week, talking about a lot of things you've spoken about, about the challenges for our Australian players and which pathway to go down. Gee, I reckon one mm. thing, I know this is a nice little plug probably for your business, but I think one thing that's come out of this whole period is that you know, the college pathway has become maybe uh, far more attractive than it ever has before. Yeah, it really has. We've, we've been blown away probably the last 24 months. Um, the growth, um, you know, particularly in females as well. I mean, which I think um, it's just been enormous. So, look, it, it is it is a great option, and it's um, look, you know, I'm, I'm, I guess I don't need to plug it too much, other than because it, I think people are either uh, want to go to college or they don't. <laughs> but um, yep. look, it's just one of those great opportunities to uh, buy yourself some time as a player, in my opinion, and whilst saving money. You know, at the end of the day, um, you know, I, I was a really good example. I was ranked pretty high in under 18s um, before I left for college and doing pretty well and obviously had those options of staying and, or, or travelling and playing. But um, for me, it was a financial decision and in the end to go and hmm. get a full scholarship over there. But I got over there and I thought yep. I was pretty good. I lost my first seven matches. <laughs> that was a that was a pretty good wake-up call. So it's a good it's a good way of telling you where your, your level is um, going over there, that's for sure. No doubt. Hey, really appreciate you joining the conversation. Another edition of In The Huddle will land this week on our first serve platform. There have been great additions to listen to for those that want to explore the whole uh, college pathway in uh, tennis. Thank you, Chris. Talk to you soon. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Chris Bates uh, just weighing in, uh, endorsing uh, the UTR ranking system that Mark Leshley spoke to us in depth uh, last week. Uh, starting from scratch, they offer their premium glass repair. They specialise in the removal of window scratches 
great partner of ours on the first serve, bring you back to its former glory. You can just see the evidence for yourself at starting from scratched, ed on the end.com.au. They will remove it. We'll come back. We're going to check in with our resident physio up next here on the first serve. The first serve, your home of tennis. Thanks to GLG Greenlife Group, celebrating 25 years providing landscape, horticultural, and environmental services throughout Australia. GLG. Your open space specialists, glgcorp.com. First serve, Monday night, been uh, great to spend almost an hour with you. It always goes far too quickly for uh, Grothy and I, who's, I tell you what, I can see Grothy, I can hear him. We're not in the same building, we haven't been for a long, long time, but I tell you what, Samuel, I reckon to get the Clippers, uh, might just a little... Just a little trim up there. You're looking wild, mate. I think you're auditioning for uh, Castaway or something. What's going on there? Well, I need all the work I can get at the moment. You can tell I haven't been out <laughs> going around all the restaurants and filming because the beard's not allowed when I do that stuff, so oh, I'm making the most of it. Nice work. Hey, let's check in with our resident physio, Rob Brandom, down at Evolve Sports Physio. They've uh, got a great setup at 492 St Kilda Road in the city. In fact, I sent a very good friend of mine down to get uh, his lower back looked at. A lot of pain from uh, Ivan uh, Guterres, of course, who is the Davis Cup physio. He's worked with some of the best in tennis. He said to me on the weekend he is feeling a million bucks. So whatever issue you've got, uh, whatever part of the body, get down to see Rob or Ivan at Evolve Sports Physio. And uh, Rob's been good enough to join us. So welcome back to the show, Rob. Yeah, good day, guys. Good to uh, good to be back. Nice to have you on. To ice or not to ice an injury is the one we're going to focus on tonight, Rob. A bit of interesting research that came out recently, which is starting to throw a bit of a question mark over something that um, you know we've always been taught is the the mainstay of acute injury management is you should get the ice onto it. Um, but uh, this research is now sort of questioning whether that's actually the right thing to do. So obviously, for me, whenever I'd finish a match, it'd be ice straight on the shoulder, or if, if you tweaked anything, it'd be the ice straight on there, the old rice. Uh, can you take us through what rice is? And, and you're saying that that maybe isn't the way we go now. So, you know, um, rice meaning rest, ice, compression, and, and elevation. Um, and, uh, I mean, of those, it's, it's really only, I guess, the, the rest, and the compression that have actually really been validated by the research. Um, and you know, when we do an injury, so for example, like yourself, if you've injured your shoulder, uh, then the body will um, produce some inflammation. And, and that process is actually really quite important. The, the inflammation serves the purpose of actually helping to kickstart the, uh, the healing process. Uh, so it brings all the, the good chemicals into the area um, and helps to, to clean up the, the debris, I suppose you might call it, um, of what's happened. Uh, and then that process needs to, to actually run its course to kickstart the healing process. And if we interfere with that, then we this is what the suggestion is, is that icing actually interferes with it too much and um, that can actually have a negative effect on the, the healing process. Uh, so what they actually did was they, they looked at tissue that had been iced uh, and injured tissue that hadn't been iced and then um, followed it and looked at what the healing process was then over you know a week and four weeks and six weeks down the track. And the, the tissue that had been iced actually ended up with a poorer scar tissue formation than the tissue that hadn't been iced. So I guess you know, we do actually need to allow that inflammation to run its course uh, and not interfere with it too much. 
Okay, so for me, if I ever rolled an ankle, you'd think, get the ice on it, you've got to get the inflammation down. You're saying that the icing may potentially have a negative effect that you need that inflammation on there. So if you have, for example, rolled your ankle or, or hurt your shoulder and you'd normally put ice on it to recover or, or to help the healing, what do you suggest doing now if, if we're not going to the ice pack? It's still a bit of a question mark. I, I wouldn't say that... I, I'm, yeah, look, to be honest, I, I'm still sort of trying to wrap my head around it as well. And I guess it's something that's just so ingrained in us, isn't it, that we could reach for the ice pack every time we have an injury. But I guess at the moment, you know, I, I'm still I'm starting to lean towards uh, the, the no icing. Um, I think we can achieve a bit more just by relative rest so rest doesn't necessarily need to be complete rest um you know we still actually do want a little bit of movement um so you know when we're doing icing we're trying to reduce the inflammation is the, the thought process but actually the body's got a really good system inbuilt which is called the lymphatic system which is there to to drain that uh that or assist with that movement of the inflammation away so if we completely rest something, then that lymphatic system can't operate because it needs a little bit of movement. So say the example of you with your, your shoulder, we wouldn't put you in a sling because then that lymphatic system can't work properly. But we'd be trying to still apply a little bit of movement, but using our pain as a guide. So you know we don't want movement that induces pain because then that's creating a little bit more further damage to the area. Does that make okay. sense? Big to think about. Yeah, absolutely. Big to think about for the uh, just you know the social tennis player out there who's been coming back to play uh, uh, using a few muscles they haven't been in the last uh, few weeks. Uh, something to think about in terms of the uh, icing. Four ninety two St Kilda Road in the city is where you can find Rob, Ivan, all the team at Evolve Sports Physio. So if you're going to go to a physio, go to our recommended physio at Evolve Sports, and they'll look after everyone who listens into uh, the first serve. Thank you, Rob. Nice to uh, catch up with you. No worries, guys. Good to catch up. Rob Brandom, to ice or not to ice? Just a couple on the text, Grothy. Uh, great serve, Sam, at the start of the show. Let's hope the return is at the uh, same level. And I did see another one that popped up here from uh, David in Thornbury. Uh, brilliant, Sam. Tennis needs a bloody wake-up call and its players and officials to stop acting so selfishly. And I reckon there was one more I spotted uh, down the uh, course of it. Of course you can create an island, as Ben on the Gold Coast suggested. International <laughs> tennis is off the table for another year. An island is the only way. Well, they'd probably accept Guam. We couldn't be going to Guam, uh, Grothy. No, but, you know, they're, they're going to have to come up with some sort of solution, whether it's an island, whether it's different tours, who knows. But they need to start getting creative, that's for sure. Could the fact that tennis is an individual sport hamper people involved from thinking of the greater good for everyone, Samuel? Yeah, and I think that's probably the problem, is that you're in the sport for such a short period of time with only your own interests. You're not playing for a team or a club. You're playing there for yourself. And maybe you only have a year at the top or five years or 10 years at the top. It's such a short span that you're just trying to do whatever you can to make a living and set yourself up. And I think that's part of the issue with the sport that we have. Well, we think the US Open is in grave danger, but I'll tell you what, the FFT, they're going to launch ticket sales this week for members of the FFT licensed clubs on Thursday. A week later, they'll open up availability to the general public, trying to achieve between 50 to 60% of capacity is the intended target. They've got to pay for a roof. They want people in. They're going to defy uh, the odds. Thank you, Sam. We've run out of time, as we always do. No, thank you, mate. I'll be checking the cancellation policy on those tickets before you buy them, though. <laughs> BP, it's been a pleasure. Absolutely. Thanks to 100 Words, a network of active local communities, their aim of improving men's mental health and reducing male suicides. Check out their great work at 100words.com.au, 7pm next Monday night. Catch the first serve.
It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.